0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 22nd episode of the Connectivity Podcast. I'm Matthias Fridström, and I've spent the last 25 years inside the connectivity community. In this pod, we invite guests to deep dive into one or many subjects to simply learn more about connectivity. And in this 22nd episode... I'm extremely happy to continue to talk to Stephen Alexander from Siena. Another area we talk about a lot in the optical space is, of course, around disaggregation, open and disaggregation. This has started before COVID, obviously, and we started to talk about this and and we've worked with you guys in Siena around this. How do you view that? You know, what sort of benefits does it bring, and what sort of drawbacks does it bring by being more open? And and maybe for people that doesn't really know, when we say open in te- in optical, what do we really mean with open?
1: I think it's of great benefit. And if anything, oh. I would tell you, Sienna exists because of the way we approached the market way back in '94. We did an open WDM system, and so so what did that mean back in 1994? You have to put it into the right context. So in that time frame, the only way you could get to fiber, if you were, you know, wanted to send something on an optical fiber, you had to go through either Sonnet or SDH. You had to go through an ad- ad- drop multiplexer, get multiplexed in with all the other traffic, and you would end up on a fiber at that point. Now, there was older equipment called PDH, you know, plesio- plesiochronous Digital Hierarchy or the async stuff. So, those were the three basic technologies back then. So, what did Sienna do We brought to market a technology called dense wavelength division multiplexing. So you could put, you know, 16 colors of light on the same fiber. All right, so what? Well, the way we did it is really what set us apart. We took all the specs for Sonnet, SDH, and PDH and built a superset of that. And that was the input to this, what we, what we called a remodulator. It would take whatever you gave us and map it onto one of those colors, So what that did is it opened up that interface to the fiber to anybody who could speak to one of our remods. And because we built the remod to talk Sonnet, SDH, or PDH, pretty much anybody could talk to us, right? And all of a sudden, you didn't need Sonnet or SDH anymore. It took a whole layer out of the infrastructure in that sense, right? A a router, for example, or a switch, or a server, or anything that could speak, PDH, Sonnet, or SDH could talk to a WDM system, and all of a sudden could go out on the line. Right, so that was the, the way Sienna got into the marketplace was by creating an open architecture WDM system. Right, so per, we've had the experience of how good it can be because it helped. It launched us. It changed the marketplace. From the time that system got into the market, the old multi-wave systems, everybody saw the benefits, and it became kind of the standard way to build these systems was an open architecture. Right? We basically used the exact same technique back around 2010 when we went into submarine cables, and we said, you have a cable under the ground, right? It's an ins- it's an installed um, line system, right? It's got all the amplifiers, got all the cables. But we can, just by changing the terminal equipment, the SLTE, right, the submarine wave terminating equipment, we can upgrade that cable because we're doing coherent detection and we can use, you know, math, digital signal processing to unwind all the imperfections on that cable that you've got. We can actually signal faster as a result. That again changed the industry and become kind of the de facto way of doing these things. So so we know open architecture's done well can really improve things, right? It can, it can create a new company. It can create a new industry. It can open up opportunities that have never existed before because we've actually done that in the past. Where where I think they get into trouble is when you open something up and it doesn't either reduce complexity because there's, there's ways you can open things up and increase complexity. Or if the way that you open it up, you don't define how you talk across the opening in a way that multiple people can do it. Right. And so done well, I would tell you, open architectures are wonderful things, you, but, but you can screw it up. Right. There's yep. ways to do it poorly. And we've seen a little bit of both, I guess, in, in the um, telecom space over over time. Um, there have been examples where, OK, granted, you opened it up, but so what? <laughs> right. Where clearly the original, you know, intent around the open WDM, the open cable systems for submarine cable, all those have been huge imp- improvements. So I, I guess I would say the jury's out when mm. you say, hey, I'm going to open this thing up. Okay, that's great, but so what? What? Tell me how you've reduced complexity, how you've increased opportunity, then, yeah, then, then I think it's a great thing.
0: Yeah, but aren't there sort of a lot of secrets that you guys in Siena know when you've developed this stuff and it's going to be perfectly tailor-made for your stuff and then Someone else is just putting transponders into your system, or the opposite of sort of how, how do we work with that side where you 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 come up with a great idea and you you sort of get an advantage over everyone else because you have the latest technology. How, how is that going to pan out if everything is open?
1: well, so so it depends upon again, where you open things up. So, for example, we were able to open up the submarine cables without you know touching the cable itself, the amplifiers, the the fiber, you know the cable designs. We only had the ability to work with the basic characteristics of that entire cable at the at the endpoints, mm-hmm. right? And we were mm-hmm. able to drive, you know, really good results, and you know, dr- created the the WaveLogic chipset and was able to you know create 100, 400, now 800 gig um, systems based on that, right? So I don't I don't think opening things up by the, by nature frustrates um, people's ability to improve on things. Where I think people often get confused is I say, okay, I'm going to open it up, but if the, work, the amount of work doesn't change, somebody still has to be the system integrator to say, yes, this whole thing's going to work. So in our case, if you go way back to the 90s, we underwrote Hey, we built it to all these specs. If you meet these input specs, we guarantee we can cross, we'll cover it across the fiber, across our system. You give us these compliance signals, we'll reproduce them at the other end. That was our guarantee when we built the equipment. Same kind of happens with the submarine cables. We say, look, we're going to characterize that cable. We're going to know everything about it. We're going to tell you the best we can do based on the fundamental physics as we understand it. This is the best that cable can do, right? Same thing has to happen, you know, almost in any time you've opened something up, is you have to say, somebody has to come in and say, well, it's open. Who does the system integration work? Who's going to guarantee performance on this? Mm-hmm. You can't just say, I've got a, a, a complex system that's made up of 10 different things. I can buy all 10 from vendor A, and they guarantee you all 10 work together. Or I can buy 10 individual ones, and then I have to guarantee they work together. Well... Not everybody wants to do that. I want to do, you know, the, the yep. work of I myself having to go guarantee performance. Some people just want the end result. And they're willing to pay for it, right? And I think that's the that's confusing part people get into is they say, well, we're just going to open it up and then all sorts of people are going to flood into the market. and There's going to be all this, you know, additional choice and price reduction and all the rest of it, well, but not really if the amount of work doesn't change, right? If somebody still has to come in and put all 10 pieces back together You know, who pays for that? How does that happen? And in most cases, it gets back to a system integrator of some kind, the original vendor, right? Somebody has to own that complete end-to-end problem. And it's an opportunity. And if you're willing to go and do it yourself and hire the system integrators, and we've heard of carriers trying to do that, some very large Mm -hmm. ones that publicly said they were going to and then backed off, you know, it's, it's certainly a possibility.
0: Yeah. And I guess uh, we, we need to mention the hyperscalers here as well, because I think some of them really also started this and talking about publicly that, the, you know, we can build systems better than anyone else, and therefore we're going to build our own systems blah, blah, blah. I kind of feel that they also stopped with that and they went back to the sort of you guys as the suppliers and pushed you. How, how do you view that? Are, are they still thinking they can build everything or do they more work with you these days?
1: Well, I think it's a much more collaborative environment than it, than it was here, you know, even, let's say, 10 years ago or even five years ago. I think part of the issue with how they reacted to the marketplace was what they saw telecom equipment looking like as they needed to scale up, right? It used to be you could go into a data center and walk down, you know, row after row after row and all more or less looks the same, right? You know, servers, often AC-powered um, you know, typically deep, not very high, a couple RU. That was a typical installation of a, in, a, in a data center, just be huge amounts of this stuff. And then you'd walk down and all of a sudden you'd get to the bays where things looked weird. They're, they're only, you know, a couple of hundred millimeters deep. They're tall. They may have DC power. You know, there, there's all sorts of weirdness that started to happen. And I think what it came down to is as they scaled up, they looked at this stuff and they said, look, all we can do is repurpose telco equipment for our own needs and our our needs are different. You know, we don't need all the airdrop multiplexing. We don't need all the other stuff you guys have built into telco. What we need are, you know, relatively simple aggregate, if aggregate at all, and, you know, convert it onto something that I can carry over distance, right? And the physical form factors need to be different, right? I want I want the operational paradigm to be different. I don't. I don't want to be going through a 50 or 100 step provisioning model, whether it's automated or not, like you guys in the telco space do. You know, I want to load software, boot it, and have it run. <laughs> it's just a whole different way of operating their networks, and their ability to go off and say, "Hey, if you don't do it, we'll do it ourselves." Well, yeah, I think that forced some people to wake up and say, "Yeah, we better go do it." What the customer wants. Um, so though, I think there was some of that, I think there was some of, they wanted to learn, you know, they had the ability to say, Hey, we, we don't necessarily know what the right answer is, but we certainly have talent and, you know, we can go spend some money and go get smarter about this stuff and create some kind of sandbox environments where we can play around and get, you know, learn and that, that will help the industry in general. So I think there was some of that. And, And there still is a bit of, you know, if you're at such a scale that you don't need, any what the vendors are offering but you need something a little bit different and if you believe you can get you know a better result by doing it yourself you will right so i think you have to kind of look through all those different lenses about how they behave but in general if you can solve the problem for them and they believe that they're, you're getting it at a reasonable price, reasonable features. You're you're interacting with them well. You're solving problems for them. It's a, a good collaboration. I think that's actually the preferable model.
0: Yeah. Uh, no, I agree with you very much. One thing that came around this as well, you said you referred to five years back, you know, was that they started to attract basically Optical engineers around the whole industry, and I remember you know some of some of your people they kind of I'm sure they were after pretty much everyone in Siena because they needed that skill set. Is that the same today or or are you coming back to becoming in sort of an attractive employer again or, or do you still feel that they hunt all your employees? I would
1: say we've always been an attractive employer because we're we're at the forefront uh, you know well, one of the, one of the greatest quotes one of our um, folks has made is it's almost like being in the Olympics every day, right? Because you're playing at that level with the, <laughs> with the industry, right? Um, but at the same time, because we were early, right? Keep in mind, you know, we kind of started this. One, one of the great quotes about Sienna early on was we kind of introduced Photonics to Wall Street, right? Because we were so early into the game that we raised a lot of the folks that now are have seeded the, the industry in terms of, you know, different roles and responsibilities in terms of the network infrastructure and such. Many of them have a you know, our our alumnus from, from Siena. But you're right. People will gravitate to, you know, where can they make the biggest difference? You know, how do I have the biggest impact? Um, if you want to go and say, you know, I'm, I'm very interested in photonics, but I want to see how photonics may impact, um, folks in this continent or in this area, or I want to go into, um, healthcare in a big way. You're going to naturally gravitate away from the equipment side of the house, I think. Right? It's, it, it's a little bit about you know how what keeps people up and interested, and um, you know why do you get up every morning and want to go to work, right? And I think we've we strive hard to always give people a good reason to do that because we've been able to push in so many different directions at the same time. Um, but at the same, uh, same instance, people have different motivations, and sometimes it's it's different than. Building the best equipment, it's I want to go see the impact, you know, how this makes a difference in people's lives. And that that tends to drive you more towards the enterprises, the web scalers, the, the the folks who are using it as opposed to the folks who are building it.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's that's good. And and it's good that you still can attract people. That's really nice. I think we're coming towards the end of this podcast, but just a final question that I want to ask you. How do you see the industry in five years? If if you're about to predict, you know, where do you wh- what type of conversation would we have in five years? You know, wh- what have we seen then?
1: Oh, I, so I, I think there's going to be a really interesting um, set of developments. Um, you know, I, I had the benefit of just going to OFC, so that's the first you know one I could actually attend in two years, and it was nice to get out and see all the technologies. There's some been some really interesting developments around um, hollow core fibers where the losses have come at, come down dramatically and so now you're talking about a fiber that has the ability to lower latency um, tolerate higher powers right so it's a, it's a very interesting development in terms of just the the basic fiber technology there are a number of folks who are coming out with very low cost interconnect technology for inside the data center some of them using you know very highly parallel optics there's going to be development work around what we would call a full band sources. You know, we, we tend to still think about channelizing things, right? As great as the 400 gig in the palm of your hand is, could you imagine the ability to say, I can light up the entire C band in the palm of your hand, right? Could I put, you know, not just 400 gigabits, could I put, you know, conceivably 20, 30 terabits, right? In a similar kind of form factor, right? So there, there's lots of really interesting developments that are coming from fibers, components, subsystems, you know, further levels of integration. You know, the the fiber optic business, the optical communications business is still the best way to get, you know, vast amounts of information exchanged across distance. And, and so I'm, I'm very bullish that we're going to have lots of good things to be talking about in three, five, even 10 years from now.
0: Yeah, no, I think that sounds really good. Uh, my last question is really then, the guys like us who still rely on 20-year-old fibers in the ground, 652 fibers all around Europe and U.S., should we be worried? Do we need to replace them all with holocore fiber? Or
1: No, I don't, I don't think – well, no. Uh, holocore will eventually show up where latency is the key determinant, right? You go back to my meantime, the cloud kind of arguments. There are going to be places where it makes a difference because – you know, if you're super latency sensitive, if you're doing server replication, if you're doing, you know, you're controlling control loops for autonomous vehicles inside of a, a stocking warehouse. And I, I don't mean cars per, per se, but, you know, automated forklifts, those sorts of things. You're con- controlling numerically controlled machines on a machine shop floor. You've got robots, all that. Yeah, latency is a huge deal. And so you may have special purpose requirements around the best possible low latency fiber. You know, the, the, the normal fiber that is deployed, I'll go back to. You know, every one of those things is somewhere between 30 to 60 terabits per second, depending upon how you light it, the bands you use and the rest of it. That's a phenomenal amount of capacity. You know, many of them aren't even closely, aren't lit any close to that in terms of their actual, you know, running capacity. So, so I view those as um, huge assets. The, the question is, how do you monetize it the most effective way? You know, how do you get full use of the infrastructure that's in place? That, that to me is the the challenge in front of the service providers because you know I'll go back to my statement earlier every time you put a fiber in the ground even if it's to somebody's residence there's tens of terabits of capacity there you know how do we ultimately you know how do how do we make the best use of that capacity in the future that's the that's the challenge in front of the industry
0: okay i think that sort of calmed me down again that's that's a really good answer so all right so steve thank you very much for participating here uh, and thanks a lot for for having you
1: It was a pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thanks, everyone, for listening. We will soon be back with a new guest. So please follow us on Twitter, ConnectivityPod, for updates. Stay tuned until next time.